Good morning. <laughs> I love that some people respond. I appreciate that. But uh, <laughs> if you have a Bible with you, if you'd like to open up to First Timothy, we go along in our sermon series in First Timothy. In the book of First Timothy, we have a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his his kind of young disciple Timothy, and Timothy was in a place called Ephesus, and and Timothy had a charge. Uh, to basically correct some false teaching. There were some false teachers there who were taking the law of God, the Old Testament, and taking some myths, some kind of endless discussions, uh, some genealogies, and they were, they were kind of like teaching people that they could be saved, they could experience salvation through following a list of laws. Uh, and, and Paul is he's writing Timothy, he needs to bring correction to that and, and bring other organization within the church and uh, Paul, especially in the time we're going to look at this morning, is, highlights it's not the law that brings salvation. It doesn't change hearts. But what does change hearts and change lives is the gospel. And that's what we'll be looking at this morning. If you want to uh, stand with me as we read God's word, we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 to 17. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this, this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. Uh, before continuing, I'm, I'm just reminded, uh, there's a dog that ran in here from the parking lot. His name is Bane. I don't know if anyone owns that dog, maybe jumped out of someone's vehicle, and you could uh, grab him and, and put him back uh, in the vehicle. So <laughs> I forgot. I, I just got into it. I forgot about Bane. <laughs> but as we jump into God's Word, if you want to bow with me, I want to pray, because I, I really have nothing to offer. Holy Father, we have your, your word uh, given to us. We have your spirit uh, to, to speak through me. I pray, Holy Spirit, have your way. Oh God, uh, take my study, uh, the, the things I've learned, uh, but proclaim your word. Give us open ears and open hearts, Lord. I pray you'd you take away this distraction, maybe of a big meal later, of what may what happened previous in this week, what's going to happen, help us to hear your word. Help us to hear your gospel. I pray even in your, in your kindness and mercy, Lord, that those who do not know you would see more clearly Jesus Christ and would be called to believe in him this morning. I pray those who do know him would be greatly encouraged and strengthened by your word, O oh Lord. God, we don't want to, again, go through the motions. I pray you would, you would meet with us in a special way through the proclamation of your word this morning. I pray you would do this now. In, in Jesus' name, we pray. 
Amen. Amen. So if we're looking at this scripture, what is the focus of the section that we're about to look at? If you, would, if you just like look through, I don't know if you noticed, in, in like uh, six verses, Jesus Christ is listed four times. He's kind of the focus of this section. And again, this is in contrast to what the false teachers were taking, what we looked at in weeks previous. They were teaching the law. They were teaching myths and and genealogies. And they were saying, hey, through this kind of hidden knowledge of the Old Testament, someone can find out who Jesus is and be saved. Well, actually, no, they didn't even have Jesus. They were just talking about the hidden knowledge. So Paul, he made a big deal that the law was not able to change people's hearts, but it was sound doctrine. It was the gospel. And now Paul continues on. He's like, and let me show you, let me give you an example of my own life, of, of what the gospel can do for someone. And that's, so that's what we're looking at here uh, this morning. If you want to look with me, verses 12 to 14, I want us to see God's grace transforms. I want to see how God's grace transforms in the whole time we're looking at here. Ask yourself, is he transforming you? God's grace transforms. Is he transforming you? Look at there with verse 12 with me. Paul starts, I I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul immediately, in, in talking about the gospel, he doesn't talk about like, look at me, look at what I've done. He's like, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, has given Paul strength. He said in elsewhere places in Scripture, Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in God. Don't be strong in yourself. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who strengthens me. Talking about contentment in Christ Jesus, whether you have little or lots, you can find strength in him. So he begins encouraging Timothy, reminding Timothy, I I found strength in Christ Jesus, my Lord, because Timothy was in a hard situation in Ephesus. He was was dealing with some some false teachers, maybe elders or leaders that were against him. Uh, It was not an easy situation. So Paul's reminding Timothy, hey, where does your strength come from? Like Psalm 121, the beginning, it says, you know, like I look to the hills, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, who the maker of heaven and earth. So this, this reminder to Timothy, I just want to remind you that this morning too, if you're in the Lord, like we don't have strength in and of ourselves. Maybe you do, maybe you're in good shape, maybe you have good health, but we need the strength that God provides as, as Timothy did. So Paul's reminding Timothy, this is where his strength was going and immediately thanking God for that. He continues, because he judged me faithful and appointed Appointing me to his service, uh, Paul was judged faithful because of God's kindness, because of God's mercy. As we're going to look at his story, he wasn't always this way, and it's actually kind of because of God's grace that Paul could be faithful. 1 Corinthians 7.25, Paul wrote, as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Paul, by, by God's mercy, was trustworthy, was faithful. On his own, he wasn't. I just want to just, this is just a small point that he was appointed. So he was judged faithful, then he was appointed to God's service. We are, we are saved so we can serve. This is, this is just a sub point. That's not really where I'm going this morning. But really, Paul, Paul's like, God grabbed hold of his life and he's like, and I got something for you to do. 
It's like we don't come to Jesus Christ and God's like, yeah, I'm just going to, whatever you're doing, I'm just going to bless you. Slap a Jesus fish or a, a fish on the back and carry on. No, God's like, wherever you are, I want you now to be my representative. I want you to make my name known, whether it's out at work, in the office, at home, in the community, wherever God has you, he saved you to serve him. It's about him. But I want to I continue to go on because it wasn't always this way for Paul. As he's going to get, get into his story, he wasn't always faithful. He wasn't always serving God in this way. If you look at verse 13 with me, as he starts to share his story, his testimony, he says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. That term insolent opponent, in other translations, an arrogant man or a violent aggressor. So I just want to sit here for a moment. We're going to consider Paul's testimony. There's a lot we know about him here in the, in the Bible. And so we're just going to consider his story. Talk about, does the gospel work? Did it work in his life? If grace is transforming, how did it transform Paul's life? I just want to uh, mention in Philippians, there's a number of places Paul mentions his background. Philippians 3, uh, 5 to 6, Paul says this. He was circumcised on the eighth day as a, as a faithful Jew. His parents did that for him. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. That's where the first king Saul came from. It's a good godly lineage. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, he was of the... The Pharisee sect, he was great at, at, at knowing all the commandments and keeping them. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. We'll get into that. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Like, there's all these laws and commands. Paul's like, as I was growing up, I was a Pharisee, and I kept them. I kept them all. This is who Paul was. He was very religious. We learn elsewhere in Scripture, Acts 22, 3, and elsewhere. He was raised under this guy named Gamil, or Gamaliel. And he was like one of the top teachers in Jerusalem, the top religious teachers. And so Paul was trained under him. He, like, he knew the Old Testament inside and out, and he kept the law in his mind. Want to learn a little bit more about Paul? If you want to turn with me to Acts, the end of Acts chapter 7. It's very significant to kind of hear Paul's story before he becomes a believer. Acts chapter 7, looking at verse 58, in Acts chapter 7, there's a believer, Stephen, and he's standing against the religious authorities of the time. And he's, he's, he's sharing the testimony because they didn't like Christians. People are following Christ. And so Stephen's sharing with these religious authorities, the same ones that condemned Jesus Christ to the cross. And as Stephen's sharing with them, they decide they're going to stone him. They're going to throw stones at him. And in, in Acts 7, verse 58, this is the first time we, we see this guy mentioned. We see Saul, sometimes later on called Paul, the same guy. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is the first time we see him in Scripture. He's there. He's basically like, yes, this is good at what they're doing. I'm watching. They're destroying Christ's followers. If we continued, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, and Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they're all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devote men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul 
was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He was a persecutor, a blasphemer, an insolent opponent. Acts 26, 11, later on his own testimony, he said, I punished them, Christians, often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So this is, this is Paul hating Christ followers, going after the church. In fact, if we just, we just turn the page, Acts chapter 9, what do we find Paul doing? What do we find him with his zeal Acts 9, verse 1, it says, But Saul, again, same person, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, a follower of Jesus Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this, that was his intention. He's like, give me letters. I guess he needed some official documentation. I'm going to go. We're going to go find more people. We're going to throw them in prison. We're going to see them stoned. That was his passion. That's what he was going after. But we know the story continues. In verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? If you have a Bible open, you notice this is in red letters. This is the risen Lord Jesus Christ addressing Saul. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, oh sorry, and he said, who are you, Lord? Verse five, and he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So he led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was with, without sight and neither ate nor drank. So Paul comes, he's, he's ready, he's raging against the church and he's blinded. And Jesus Christ speaks to him and Jesus Christ appears or speaks to this other guy, Ananias, in a vision, said, go and pray for Saul. Go lay your hands on him and pray for him. And he's like, no, Lord. <laughs> I've heard about this guy. I know what he's about. I'm not going to go. He, he's, he's, he's basically uh, talked into going. He goes and he prays for Saul. And it says here at the end, uh, verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. So this amazing conversion of Saul. He's going, he's not looking for Jesus Christ. He's going to persecute followers of him and God meets him. And God calls him to himself. God's grace transforms. I want us to see that. So going back there to 1 Timothy. So when he says, though firmly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, we can all say, okay, I get what, I get what he's saying. But, I, but scripture continues. Verse 13, but I received mercy. But he received mercy from God. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. He received mercy because he acted in ignorance. He didn't know what he was doing. Almost what Jesus said when he was nailed to the cross, he looks down at people in Luke 23, 34, and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He was acting in ignorance. Not 
Not though, not like the teachers of the law that were in Ephesus that Timothy was supposed to speak to. Because those teachers are like, hey, we know the truth. We know the way. And they were like leading people away from Jesus. So Paul's like, I didn't know what I was doing. God had mercy on me, not like those teachers of the law. Very similar to maybe what's spoken of in Hebrews 10, 26 to 27. It says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. These other teachers, like, they weren't ignorant. They, they claimed to know the truth and kept on sinning. But Paul, he, had, he didn't know, and God had mercy on him. Continuing on his story, verse 14, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with all the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Remember who he was? And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. This term overflowed, other translations, more than abundant. This is a word that describes a pouring out to overflowing. And if you think of pouring out to overflowing, it's not like, I don't know if you have a, a cup and you're filling it with water and you overfill it and it just, some, just some water comes out like just a little bit. Because you think of God's grace, it's not like there's like just a little bit more than what should be there. God's grace is like filling a cup with a fire hose. <laughs> Like that, that's the grace to overflowing. You're not like, I don't know, is there, is there more? Yes, there's more for us. There is more for, for Paul. And so the grace of our Lord overflowed for Paul with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I want you to see this. It's faith and love are from Christ Jesus. In 2 Timothy 1.13, Paul writes, Follow the pattern of sound words, sound doctrine that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. If you want faith, you want love, you need to go to Christ Jesus. It says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 9, speaking of salvation, someone being saved, it could be true of Paul's uh, conversion. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. It's the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. But friends, the, the faith is a gift from God. It flows from his grace. Grace means undeserved favor. That's what Paul received. Undeserved favor overflowed for him that he gained faith in Jesus Christ and then love. We need God's good grace that we would have faith in him, love for him and love for others. This is the outflow of it. Paul's life was transformed by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Right from a Christian hater to a soul winner. From someone who persecuted Christians to he had to tell everyone. He went around kind of the Roman Empire sharing there is a Messiah. He was buried in the grave. He rose again. And if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. And he suffered greatly for this message. But God's grace transformed his life. Even the, the song that we sang today, the kind of a remix of it, Amazing Grace, written by a fellow by the name of John Newton. John Newton, he was a former slave trader. Like he went to different parts of Africa and grabbed people from their home and put them on a ship and made money off them. But then he came to faith in Jesus Christ. 
This is where we get these lyrics, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God's grace transforms. And of course, we could, we could talk about these like really clear testimonies of where someone was in this type of trouble. They believed in Jesus Christ, and he grabs them, and he transforms their life so radically. But what about maybe if you've grown up in the church, if you've grown up in a Christian home? Maybe it won't look so radical in your life, but the reality is, if you are a believer in Jesus, God's grace will be transforming your life in some sort of aspect. And so just ask yourself, is God transforming your life? Is this change happening in you? Do you have faith in him and love for others? That's like a, just a telltale sign. Do you have faith in Jesus today, and do you have love for others that flows from God? Because you just, just think, like we're all, as God's grace transforms us, it's like we're being transformed. We're basically, we're like homes that are in the middle of renovation. If you are a Christian, you're like a home that's in the middle of renovation. In our, in our house, we redid, our friends of ours redid, I did, and I would have like, it would have looked a lot worse, but they redid our kitchen. And it's beautiful, like new cabinets, new countertops, so we redid that. There's a newer part of our home. There's a lot of older parts of our home that, ha- that maybe need to be renovated. That's life as a Christian. Some parts, like they're renovated, they're new, and other parts are like maybe torn up and are being changed. John Newton also, he, he said this, and I, and I love to say it. I probably said it to a few people in this past few weeks. John Newton, looking at his own life, looking at grace transforms, he said, hey, I'm, I'm not as good as I want to be. I'm not as good as I ought to be. I'm not as bad as I used to be. And by God's grace, I am what I am. So we, we heard Paul's story how God's grace transformed his life. What is your story? Do, do people in your family, do they know it? Do they know how God's grace is transforming your life? And again, just we, we see so clearly, like, God's grace transforms. It's like if someone, I've heard this from a guy named Paul Washer, he said, Jesus so drastically changes your life. You can't like know him and follow him and just remain the same. It's like going out and being late to come to church. You're like, oh, why, hey, why were you late? You're like, oh, I got, I got hit by a semi. What? Yeah, I was in the middle of the highway, got hit by a semi, but now I'm here. You're like, I don't know. I don't think you would be all together. <laughs> but that's like saying, yeah, I, I follow Jesus Christ. I have faith in him. Everything stays the same. No, God's grace transforms. Is he transforming you? Is he changing you? Continuing on, Paul's testimony, he says this in verse 15. I want us to see God's grace is for sinners. It is for us. God's grace is for sinners. It is for us. Verse 15, he says, the, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost at the beginning of that, this saying is trustworthy. We see this a few times in the letter in 1 Timothy in 3 verse 1 and 4 verse 9 and in 2 Timothy 1 and Titus, these pastoral letters. There's these sayings that maybe were well known at the time that people already knew that were kind of building a, a theology. And we should, all, we should take note. 
When, when it says something like that in scripture, this is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Just think, where else are you finding trustworthy statements these days? Social media? For sure on the news. <laughs> or maybe just from friends. Just as we exchange information, or we're, we're finding like trustworthy statements that we should like bank our life on. In a day and age of fake news, misinformation, like what's true, what isn't, we found something we should like bank on. This is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Like we should like really take to heart what he says next. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I love it. Just look at this with me. Think about this with me. He came into the world. He existed before. In John's gospel, John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word, speaking of Jesus. The word was with God. The word was God. Jesus, he existed before Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus, the eternal second member of the Trinity, the Son, he had to come into the world. In a, in a few months, we're going to be celebrating that other holiday, right? Maybe I'm getting it mixed up what holiday we're on, but Christmas time, we're talking about, okay, Jesus, as he came born of the Virgin Mary, but why did he come? He came into the world to save sinners. If we think it's just so we can get together and smile and have presents under a tree, not wrong. But no, we celebrate Jesus, and not just because of his amazing birth, but because of what he did, the life, the perfect life he did, lived, and the death on the cross. He died, buried, rose again. He came into the world to save sinners. Some, some say, oh, Jesus, yeah, he, he, he was just, he was a good teacher. Just a great example to follow. You, you can learn some leadership principles from him. Those things are all true, but that's not why Jesus came. He came in the world to save sinners. So think about that. One, like what is a sinner? Sinner is someone who is rebellious, opposed to God, which is actually all of us. We're all born with a natural tendency to turn our back on God and want what we want when we want it now. But he came in to save sinners because sinners need to be saved. They need to be saved from God. Because as sinners, we all stand against a holy and righteous God. We stand opposed to him. We stand as enemies of him. And we have his punishment to come down upon us if we do not turn, but he came to save sinners by dying on the cross, by taking the punishment that we deserved upon himself, by taking our sins upon himself, and to give us salvation. One commentator, Robert Yarbrough, says this, sinners are condemned, but their status also qualifies them for membership among those whom Jesus transforms. Well, just think about that for a moment. Jesus came to save sinners. Luke 19.10, Jesus said this, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the unrighteous. This is good news if you know you're a sinner. But if you're like, no, no, I'm good, I have it all together, then you, maybe you're not hearing. But if you know you're a sinner, Jesus came to save sinners, that is, that is good news. 
Are you a sinner? Christ Jesus is the Savior. Is he your Savior? Have you believed? Paul, I don't know if you saw the last part of that statement. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Paul's like, actually, I'm the worst. I'm number one of being the worst. That's what Paul is saying. I I heard this, a speaker once, using this scripture, Todd Friel. If you want to check out Todd Friel, it's called Wretched Radio. Really good, solid uh, biblical teaching. But Todd Friel, he was talking about how can you use this scripture in your home? Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He's like, hey, yeah, Paul. Paul said he's the chief of sinners. Paul's dead. His crown is up for grabs. And we could argue with one another. I think I'm the chief of sinners. And in my home, I'm going to wear that crown. And then I'm going to run to the cross. I want to take my wife to the cross. My kids to the cross. Yes, I'm the chief of sinners, but I have a great Savior. Come, come and know him. God's grace is for sinners. It's for us. That's a wonderful thing. Continuing on, verse 16, God's patience is extraordinary. And in Christ, we can't exhaust it. God's patience is extraordinary. Paul continues, but I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. It's termed perfect patience. Other translations, extraordinary patience or immense patience. What is Paul saying? Again, he starts there, but I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, in me as the worst, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. Paul's saying like, hey, if, if Jesus can save me, he can save anyone. Like no one is out, out of God's grasp that he could take him and transform him and change him. Paul's like, my life's an example for that. You just think about God's patience towards sinners so that they would repent. Patience, if, if, if you or other people, you know, taking Jesus' name in vain or lying or, or cheating or, or who knows doing what, that God doesn't just strike you down. That God doesn't strike us down. That God's patience. But people who aren't trusting in the Lord, that in fact, you get to live to see another day. Maybe you're here today. You hear this message. That's God's extreme patience, his immense patience, that you would hear again the message of Jesus Christ. And if you, you hear and you're like, what do you do? What does Paul say? That he would be an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. You believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. For eternal life. We're not talking about just, like, man, just get to heaven. We're not talking about like maybe just a retirement. We're talking about eternal life. All of eternity. To be with God. Believe in Jesus. God's patience continues to allow. Maybe even some here to turn, to believe in him. Don't wait. We don't know if we'll see the end of today. You think of those who are, have already 
If you've already believed in Jesus, you're already, you've been transformed by his grace, he's transforming. You think about God's patience with you and with me. His perfect patience. Like, what if God wasn't patient? As believers, what if he's like, hey, you got three strikes. I would have been out a long time ago. Hey, you got ten chances. I would have used them all up. Praise the Lord for his perfect patience. His, I don't know about you, if we were to highlight my Christian walk, you would quit listening to me today. The things that God has taken me out that I stumble back into again, he grabs me back out again, forgives me. I, I run back to it. He's, he's changing, he's transforming. But man, if you look at the house under renovation, there's some broken parts still. But man, he's got perfect patience. So think about God's perfect patience for us. And if he's so patient for us, just think about Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work and you will finish it. He'll complete it. Like, that's, that's the hopeful thing. God's great patience with us. He keeps, he keeps with us. He keeps bringing us along. He keeps transforming us. He doesn't, okay, I'm done with you now. No, he's got perfect patience. He's got extraordinary patience. He's got immense patience. And if we're receiving that daily, what kind of patience should we have for other people? And I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm convicted. I feel like, the past little while, I've been way more impatient than ever before. I need increased patience with my family, with, with different people. You think either like people in your home or maybe at a place of work, maybe people in the church. It's so what a unique church is where people from kind of different backgrounds, different seasons of life all coming together. We need patience with each other. We have God's immense patience with us that we would also be patient with one another. So God's patience is extraordinary. In Christ, we can't exhaust it. That's, that's great. That's good news. And lastly, I want you to see how God's mercy leads to praise. You can't help yourself. Look at verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul, he's like writing, he's talking about how the gospel has transformed his life, talking about how it's good news for sinners. And then he, he can't contain himself. He just starts praising God. He's done it in other letters too. As he's writing, it's not like he got distracted. He just got overwhelmed. He had to start writing this down. This is where his focus went. When he's like looking back at what God's done in my life, what he'll do in other people, he's like, I now need to turn my attention and praise the Lord. And look where his praise goes. He doesn't say, like, look at what I've done. He doesn't say, like, well, look at the churches I built. Look at the people I read, led to the Lord. He's like, look at God. I love that. God's mercy, if we truly reflect on it, and his grace transforming us, his extraordinary patience, it leads to praise. What does he say to the king of the ages? Martin Luther says this, he has no peer. For he is the king of the ages. With one wink of his eye, he beholds the eyes and crowns of all kings in contempt. They are the kings of an hour. He is the king of the ages. He's immortal. Just think of world rulers, Caesar Augustus, Napoleon, Queen Elizabeth. 
No more. God reigns. He is the I am, the self-existent one. He's not the I was, not the I will be. He's the I am. Always has been. Always will be. Invisible. He's invisible. God's invisible. First Timothy 6, 16. At the end of the letter, Paul kind of, he, he goes again into praise. And he says in the second part of 6, 16, a God who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. Do you think about that, about God? Our kids, we're, we're teaching them this like little catechism through question and answer, teaching them truths about God. And one question is, can you see God? And the answer that they're memorizing, no, I, I cannot see God, but he can always see me. God's invisible. Immortal. The only God. He's holy. He's set apart. There's no one else like him. Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There's only one God. And then what does he finish with? As he, his praise rises up, be glory or be honor and glory forever and ever. Just think about how we, maybe we can give honor in our culture, maybe like the, a bride on the wedding day is when the bride enters and everyone stands. Give honor. They sit down. You think if you're maybe watching your sports team or maybe you go to like a, a concert and then maybe it's like the best show you've ever seen and everyone like standing ovation and they go off the stage, oh, they come back on the stage, stand, it stops. The pray, like the, the, the glory stops. Everyone leaves. We're talking about honor and glory forever and ever. For all of eternity, that's who God is. That's what he deserves for all time. If you're with us in the summer, like Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's what we're talking about because of who God is. And I love, he, he ends, so to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Paul's like, I don't know if he's writing, like, Timothy, are you with me? Amen is like, yes, yeah, I believe it too. It's true. Does God's grace in your life, his transforming work in your life, his extraordinary patience towards you, do you see it? Is the living God at work in your life? And can you remain silent? Can you stop from praising him? Paul couldn't. I can't. I don't think you can either. We should be like a kid who, who's really bad at keeping secrets. Right? With the praise of God, like you just, you walk in the room and they just, they got they to blurt it out. Like, I didn't even ask you. I didn't even look at you. Start telling me something. That's what our praise should be within us. Right? If, if we're looking back and seeing what God has done, reflecting on his grace in our lives, reflecting currently on his grace and his mercy in our lives, his patience, it should lead us to praise. Let us praise him. Let us give thanks to him. Friends, it's, it's Thanksgiving. I know, I'm like, I thought it was Christmas for a moment. No, I guess it's Thanksgiving. And apparently it's celebrated on Monday, though we all eat turkeys on different days. 
Because on January 31st, 1957, because it was confusing when is Thanksgiving in Canada, we'd follow the states, it was too cold, we're like, when should it be? So finally, the Governor General of Canada, Vincent Massey, issued a proclamation stating it's going to be the second Monday in October. And what did, the, what did they say, the Governor General? He said, it's going to be a day of general thanksgiving to Almighty God for the bountiful harvest for which Canada has been blessed. So there's this day, and I would encourage you to like, take time, go around the table, hey, what are you thankful for? There's a day. If you are a Christ follower, it's every day. And we're not just thanking God for what he's given, given to us. We want to be like Paul, king of the ages, immortal, invisible. We want to thank God for who he is. We want our, our praise to rise up to him often. Thank God for what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do. Our praise should rise to him daily. Oh, the mercy of God. If you want to bow with me, I'll close this word in prayer. Oh, Lord, I pray you'd you'd take these words and use them to further uh, your kingdom, to give more honor and glory to your name. I pray, Lord, by your spirit, by your grace, you would transform our lives. I pray for those who, who don't know you, who have heard of you, Lord, I pray you would draw them. I pray they would not be able to shake this message. And they would turn and trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray whatever is from me would fall to the side. I pray that which is from you seal in our hearts and our minds. Oh, Lord, we praise you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.